Hey everybody, this is David coming to you from Jacksonville, Florida. I'm here again with Andrew's coming to us from Toronto. Uh, we're here with, I, I'm not sure whether to call this the second episode or 1.1 of uh, Raptors Room. We did record something else before today, but uh, this may be the first time you're hearing from us. Um, today we want to get into this uh, really incredible setup for the second round, especially in the Eastern Conference. Uh these are the final four teams we've been looking forward to being the final four teams all season long. Um, being a Raptors podcast, we especially want to get into the matchup with the Philadelphia 76ers. Um, then we want to talk a little bit about the state of the NBA playoffs more broadly. Uh, probably get into a little bit of what's going on with Golden State. Uh, we're recording this on Friday, uh, Friday evening. So uh, Golden State's about to play game six, uh, crazily enough against uh the la clippers so we'll talk about all that we'll get into a couple other things towards the end of the show uh but let's let's talk raptors andrew uh yeah let's do it they just had a dominating series win which both you and i predicted on our uh previously uh as yet unpublished podcast uh (laughs) where we talked about (laughs) talked about this really being um with the raptor series to dominate um we were a little worried about how hot Orlando was playing, how how strong they'd been. They had the same record as the Raptors over the last 30 games, and they had emerged as kind of one of the top defensive teams in the league. Um, but we overcame them. Uh, there was uh, a bit of a stinker, a bit of a stinker in game one, and the uh, requisite uh, Toronto fandom freak out. Um, you and I were both stabilizing voices in our group chat, our group uh, NBA fantasy group, yeah. group chat. Yeah. But talk to me a little bit about that series really quickly. That'll set up a, a conversation about a, a much tougher opponent in Philadelphia 76ers. Yeah, yeah. I think in our in our unreleased episode, maybe we'll release it one day, but in our unreleased <laughs> episode, we uh, we both predicted a uh, easy Raptors win in the series. And I think we saw just that, despite the game one hiccup. Uh, but I think, you know, the Raps were just trying to, you know, figure, figure out the playoffs and, and the vibe of this series in game one. As, as you know, the greats do, uh, you know, frequently LeBron would say that he takes game one as his sort of feeling out game to figure out a series before he dominates it. So that's what the Raptors were doing, right? They learned from LeBron. Well, uh, I, I like that. I like that spin on it. I, I personally thought the Raptors um, dropped the ball a little bit. They looked a little unprepared or maybe not unprepared, but a little... Um, uh, like a little bit of a deer in the headlights look when they realized just how tough Orlando's defense was going to be. Yeah. Um, and then, but then of I course, that's part of it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, and then the other thing was obviously DJ Augustine had the game of his life. Um, and Kyle had one of his worst playoff performances, at least from a, from a scoring perspective. So yeah, I, I was, I was a little nervous about the performance in game one, but ultimately not nervous about the series. If that makes sense. I knew that they were going to yeah. recover. I, yeah, I think a lot of people are chalking up that game one loss to Kyle's 0-4-7 performance. But I think, honestly, the the real issue was that uh, Orlando was better, I think, than the Raps expected. And I think you could tell uh, that they were kind of surprised. Uh, you know, the, Orlando was hitting a bunch of their threes. I think they had, like, a, an, an incredible 40% from three performance in that game. Uh, and so the Raps were a little bit slow on their coverages and then allowed Orlando to get into rhythm. And then it was a tight game at the end. And you can feel all the Raps players kind of getting nervous uh, towards the end of the stretch there. And then obviously there was that defensive miscommunication at the end between Kawhi and Mark that right. led to the uh, DJ Augustine three. Uh, well, and just to add, you know, that coming into this playoffs and the lead up to the playoffs, I, I think I remember mentioning it to you. I was getting a little nervous that the Raptors... 
um, you know, that the time for getting a little bit more serious and getting a little bit more focused on executing uh, was had kind of come and passed. And I was nervous that they were just not really prepared for playoff basketball. I think you might have seen some of that in game one, but I've been, you know, yeah. very, very reassured yeah. by how quickly they adjusted. Yeah, there was definitely a complacency factor there, I think, too. And that's kind of to, to my original point is that I, I think the Raptors came out and were just not fully in the right mindset yet. And I think that's hard to control. Ultimately, uh, especially, you know, you're the two seed, they're the seven seed. I mean, we're seeing it to an extent with Golden State right now. It's not just the Raps, right? And obviously Philly dropped their game one as well. You know, you see these teams that are, you know, by and far the favored team to win uh, come out and lay an egg, uh, you know, early in the series, uh, either because, you know, they're not taking their opponent too seriously or they're not mentally fully engaged yet for various reasons. So, Honestly, I don't take our game one loss this year to the same reasons that we saw it in previous years. I think in previous years, uh, it was a lot of the raps actually, uh, you know, defense is really honing in on them. This time, I think it was more so that the raps defense was not fully engaged and you saw some miscommunications uh, that caused the game to be tighter than it needed to be. And, right. you know, they cleaned that shit up right away. You know, game two was just a dominated performance and the rest of the series was over after that, you know? Yeah, I think uh, I think there was a stat. They only, uh, the Magic only held a lead uh, after game one for a few minutes over the next four games. Uh, yeah, 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 exactly. it was total domination. And, and I think we can leave it there. Um, let's talk round two uh, because this is the matchup. I think it's the matchup. This is kind of an interesting series. This is the matchup I would probably have chosen. As a Raptors fan, I probably would have preferred uh, to play Philly. So it kind of got our wish there. But on the other hand, this, yeah. is, this is a very different Philly team uh, than from what they started with at the beginning of the year. Uh, that starting five, the net rating of that lineup has been insane. They've been scoring at will. They had a 50-point quarter in their first series against Brooklyn. Um, I've been listening to a lot of fellow uh, Raptors podcasters and reading the breakdowns and the uh, analysis of the series, looking especially at matchups. Um what do you what do you think? What are you making of this matchup for the Raptors? Yeah, I think it's it's important to explain really why this is our preferred matchup. So, you know, to start with the other two options were, you know, the Boston Celtics and Milwaukee Bucks. The Milwaukee Bucks, obviously, you know, best team in the league in the regular season. Um, so, you know, obviously we would have rather avoided them as long as possible. They've got Giannis, probably the MVP this year. Uh, the Boston Celtics, you know, although they've had their ups and downs. Uh, you know, they are a team that is stacked with talent that may just figure it out just at the right time. So that's always scary. Uh, and obviously they have Kyrie Irving, who is potentially the most clutch player in the league. Right. Um, and, and when it comes to Philly, you know, Philly obviously has an incredible starting lineup. Uh, but they are a team that's new. So, I mean, obviously they had acquisitions of Jimmy Butler and Tobias Harris. We have not seen really any signs of chemistry building between that starting five. Uh, it's a lot of your turn, my turn kind of offense. Um, and the numbers don't really show that they're as dominant as they should be. So you just mentioned that, yes, they they that starting lineup performed great against the Brooklyn but they were playing Brooklyn, right? <laughs> yeah, uh, Brooklyn, a team that is not very good defensively, that is known for their offense, which has really carried them to into the playoffs and allowed them to really win that first game. But beyond that, uh, they have you know Jared Allen at center, the, you know, a twenty-two year old center who has no experience and no chance at guarding Joel Embiid, right? Uh, and the last, and I think 
one of the more significant reasons why this is a preferred matchup is Joel Embiid, their best player, is dealing with knee issues. And any level of slowdown Joel Embiid makes Philly extremely vulnerable. Um, so just all that shows why at face value we could prefer Philly over the other two options. Uh, but I think it's still a lot of fun to dig into this because there's a lot of interesting, fun little matchups going on here uh, that, uh, you know, would seem to benefit the Raptors. But I think, you know, depending on what the coaching staff of Philly decides, we could get, you know, really fun chess chess match uh, going on in the series. Yeah, let, let's um let's approach it this way. I'm going to tell you, 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 you've probably done more homework on this than I have. Let me tell you a little bit about what makes me nervous about the matchup. What what's giving me a little bit of pause, um, and then you you give me your thoughts on uh, how the Raptors are going to deal with it. You've already mentioned yeah. Joel Embiid; he's dealing with a knee injury. Um, <laughs> tell me a little bit about that matchup. Obviously, both Philly and Toronto are probably going to embrace the uh, Joel Embiid Marcus Hall matchup. Um, I like that for us on the defensive end. Um, but Marcus Hall doesn't bring as much uh, dynamic offense uh, as Joel Embiid. How does how's that matchup going to play out? Because that's going to be kind of the marquee matchup, I think. Yeah, so I think, um, I mean, in terms of head-to-head one-on-one coverage, you know, I think lots of people have pointed out that Mark uh, defends Joel Embiid really, really well, one of the best centers in, in the league in terms of defense against Joel Embiid. Um, so, you know, that plays to our benefit, especially, you know, if you can – if you can limit Joel Embiid, that really, uh, you know, hinders uh, the whole Philly offense. Um, but, I, you know, there is there is the wrinkle, though, in that a lot of people are focusing on that one-to-one matchup, uh, you know, Marcus Hull defending Joel Embiid. But a lot of Philly's action are these dribble handoffs between Joel Embiid and J.J. Redick. And Mark is not exactly the fastest lateral mover right that i think i think uh, so, that you've hit the kind of the main concern i have is that joel is a lot younger and quicker um but i think gasol can handle that in the post but out around the perimeter especially working with jj reddick who moves like i mean besides being an incredible three-point shooter he, his movement his off-ball movement is relentless how do yeah. we deal with that how do we scheme for that yeah so who, i think that's yeah. going to I was just going to ask. That's going to be the biggest challenge. I was just going to ask. Sorry to step on you. I was just going to ask who's who's matched up with JJ Redick. Uh, is there an individual that we want on JJ Redick, or is that going to be something that's just going to be uh, switched yeah. according to the schemes? Yeah, it's so interesting because you know as soon as you start saying okay, maybe you know we'll put Danny Green on JJ Redick because he's long. He's used to defending the opposing point guard. He defended DJ Augustine, so that was one of the adjustments we did in the last series where. DJ Augustine was kind of torching us in the first half of that first game when Kyle was defending him. But then as soon as we put Danny Green on him from the second half on to the rest of the series, DJ Augustine was severely limited. So my initial answer would be, let's put Danny Green on him. He's had so much, you know, uh, success in defending these fast, uh, smaller guards. Yeah, he's an incredible Um, perimeter defender. But you have to then take into account, you know, that domino effect of, okay, if Danny Green's on on JJ Redick, then who does Kyle defend, right? Uh, and so there's been kind of I've heard you know multiple takes here and there of people thinking like, no, you should put Kyle on him uh, and have Danny Green guarding uh, Jimmy Butler or Tobias Harris um, to sort of match up in terms of size. I personally think uh, Kyle can't keep up with JJ Redick. Yeah, uh, I think JJ Redick is incredibly quick. 
and I don't think Kyle can keep up with him. Kyle has definitely slowed down with age. And I also don't want Kyle getting exhausted on the defensive end, uh, chasing around J.J. Redick. Whereas Danny Green, I think uh, we want most of his energy spent on the defensive end uh, and just be sort of a, a catch-and-shoot, three-point shooter on the offensive end. So, so I like Danny on him. Yeah, so what will that mean for, uh, uh, what will that mean for Kyle? Yeah, so I think, okay, so I've heard this take uh, and I agree with it. I think Kyle should be on Jimmy. Uh, to start with, uh, I think Jimmy is a very physical uh, player and Kyle likes defending physical guys. He, he likes kind of, you know, defending in the post, um, you know, those guys that aren't as much of, uh, you know, uh, straight burst of energy to the basket. I think that's where Kyle gets into most trouble is when he's defending opposing point cards that are incredibly quick at driving and cutting to the basket. Whereas Jimmy Butler is a more of a hold the ball, dribble it out, feel his way through, uh, you know, wait for a pick, go around the pick kind of thing. And I think Kyle is well suited to defend that. It's not ideal, but I would start there and see where it goes. Um, I think I worry a lot about Kyle on JJ. I think JJ will uh, just run all around the court, exhausting Kyle and losing him eventually and getting wide open. Whereas Danny, although Danny is probably not as quick as JJ, but he has the length to kind of recover that gap. Um, well, there, if JJ should kind of lose him, you know, there was a really good conversation about this um, on, I think the rap cast uh, by the Raptors Republic. They really got into this. And I think there was a bit of disagreement maybe, or a little uncertainty about uh, the, how to kind of preserve Kyle <laughs> over, a, over what could be a very long series and still get the most out of him on the offensive end. I think that's kind of the crux of the debate, whether you're hiding Kyle kind of, well, not hiding per se, but uh, putting Kyle on, on a, a more maybe one note or a, um, typical offensive player in JJ Redick, or whether you're taking on and embracing what would look like on the surface to be a mismatch with him and Butler in the post where Kyle's very effective. And I, I think that, there was a discussion, I think, specifically around the point about how Kyle is an incredible like help defender, draws a lot of charges uh, when he's moved, move, rotating and moving over for help. Uh, does that does that give you pause at all about putting him on Jimmy Butler? Uh, I don't think so because I think Jimmy works more in the mid range, which right. which puts Kyle at a closer in closer range to you know the basket where he might be able to drive. Uh, a draw a charge you know yeah um whereas whereas you know all jj is doing is zipping around the perimeter trying to lose his man before getting open for a three so uh yeah i mean i i think yeah kyle on jimmy or even tobias harris uh, if it could go you know go tobias harris into posting him up mm -hmm. i think that would be a win as well the my only concern with tobias is he does have the length to shoot the three over kyle and tobias i think does shoot it shoot that three better than uh, than Jimmy. Jimmy more, is more of a mid-range, kind of work his way, uh, you know, dribble out and kind of pull up for some fadeaways kind of guy, Well, uh, which I think Kyle is well-suited to defend. For my own part, my, my biggest concern with Kyle is, is durability and health because unlike Kawhi, uh, who we kind of uh, had the, the load management thing uh, where he we, we trust that he's healthy now and ready to go, there is there are pretty serious concerns with Kyle's back and Kyle's durability at his age. So that's probably my biggest concern is preserving him a little bit for, for what could be a long series. But I want to get into that. Do you think this is a long series on paper? It seems like two incredible teams, two stacked teams, uh, two teams with some question marks on the bench. I think those question marks are more pronounced for Philly. 
uh, after the trades they made to get Tobias Harris and Jimmy Butler. But what do you? What would be kind of uh, your prediction? Not necessarily your prediction, but what do you? How do you think this series is going to play out? So, not to get too hot right now, uh, but I <laughs> think for I think I it. did. I think I did send this to you, and uh, I think a couple days ago, or was it yesterday? I want the Raps to go into this series with the mentality that they can sweep the Sixers. Wow. Because I think they okay. can. That is pretty hot. I think they can. I think they can pull off the sweep. Uh, and I'm not just saying that because, you know, all the media seems to be on the Raps side. I genuinely think the Raps are in a posi- position right now, both tactically and mentally, to pull off a huge sweep, a crushing defeat to the Sixers right now. Uh, I think the Sixers are currently, you know, ripe for being taken advantage of you know we have Joel Embiid's injury but not just that we have a center that can really take Joel out of out of the game you know Joel is the type of player uh, as great as he is you can frustrate Joel to the point where he starts turning the ball over a bunch taking bad shots taking a bunch of threes where he's you know under 30 percent from and he's still taking you know five a game I think you can I think with Mark's defense he can really frustrate Joel we have Kawhi, who has been known and well-documented to be just owning Ben Simmons. And if he can just take out Ben Simmons, he can also lead to him, their primary ball handler, to making dumb decisions. Uh, and then you have uh, potentially Jimmy Butler seeing this and feeling like, you know, I'm a free agent next year. This isn't really my team. He either mentally checks out or goes for the hero ball approach. Uh, and then we just have, you know, Tobias Harris and JJ who, you know, if the other three guys are not performing, those guys can be easily taken out as well. Uh, and especially having seen how much the Raptors were able to lock in those last four games on the defensive end against Orlando, if they put in that level of energy, they can really, I think, pull off, you know, bring that Philly team to a level of frustration that they start mentally checking out. They've got two free agents. We'll start thinking about, you know, their free agency, where they might go next year and just have that team kind of shatter. Uh, and I don't say that, you know, maliciously. I love that Philly team and I love watching them. But I think the, this Raptors team with their poise and their talent has the opportunity to really uh, deliver a, a deathly blow to this Philly team, given the right mindset and, and execution. I'm not saying that it will happen, but I think the opportunity is there. Well, let me um, let me push back a little bit. I, I agree with you that I think the Raptors are the better team and that the way they're playing right now is scary, especially on defense. Uh, but let me push back a bit. Joel Embiid, his health is a question mark, but we did see him have some pretty dominating performances in the first round. If he is able to play at even 85%, I think there's a chance that he could just carry them for one game for and get a win that way. I think Ben Simmons' play has been the best that we've seen it the last couple of games, best we've seen it in his career, arguably. I think there's a chance that he could push them for a win. I think J.J. Redick can hit, go off for 10 threes in a game, and that could carry them, especially the Raptors are a little inconsistent from three. So I, I agree that the Raptors... Uh, are the better team, and I would also take them to win this series, and I, I feel good about the matchup. But I think there's a chance, and I, it's crazy to say this, I feel like the Raptors might be underestimating, not, not that the players themselves or the coach or the organization, but the Raptors fan base, I think, might be underestimating just how talented that Philly starting five is. I, I agree. I agree. I, like, I definitely think Philly... I, 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 say, I say what I said 
mostly because I think uh, Philly is vulnerable in terms of a mental sense and a team cohesion sense. Um, you know, Brooklyn, you know, for as great of a story that they were this season was really had no business even being remotely in that series, especially with the fact that they had Jared Allen on Joel Embiid. Like yeah. you saw it, you know, eventually the Sixers figured out that you just give the ball to Joel Embiid and Brooklyn has no chance at all. Um, but I think th- it's night and day now in terms of who they're matched up against. Um, but that's not to say that the Raps should underestimate them. I mean, if, if the Raps go in with that mentality, then absolutely I think they're in trouble. I think if the Raps go in with, in a professional approach like they did in the last four games against Orlando, uh, really locking in on the defensive end, um, that is the mentality they should approach the series with. Um, and so if, if they do that and execute, um, obviously, you know, there, there are random factors that may uh, cost them games. You know, obviously, if J.J. Redick goes off, I think he's actually maybe the biggest factor for Philly. Hit that, that two-man game with him and Joel Embiid, mm-hmm. uh, I think, is one of the hardest things to guard in the NBA uh, and could definitely give us problems. Um, and then, uh, you know, if Joel Embiid somehow figures out, uh, you know, how he can get going, maybe his threes start falling, then absolutely that'll change the dynamic of a game and potentially the series. Um, but I think going in, uh, I believe that the Raps have an edge and if they come in with a disciplined approach, they have a chance to really end this series early. All right. Well, I want to, I want to kind of pivot now, but I just, uh, maybe as a last word, Watch out for Boban off the bench. Uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> we didn't yeah. even get into oh, that. Yeah. I, I think we are right to focus on the starting fives. This series is going to be decided by uh, the starting fives. But I, our bench has been, um, well, a lot less intimidating this year than last year when you had yeah. Siakam off yeah. the bench. Um so I think we're that's 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 going to be a, that's going to play a role as well. Um, I think I think the Raptors the potential is there for the Raptors to outclass Philly on the defensive end, which is going to give us enough wiggle room off the bench uh, to um, you know let Fred and Ibaka do their thing. And also they really Philly really doesn't have a bench either. They're, they're, and I think Mike, Mike Scott's injured, or there's some concern about him. Maybe yeah, not there's being like healthy. a heel problem there. I think, All right, yeah. so let, let's leave it there. No, I, I sorry, I just want to mention one more thing about the series uh, that I didn't mention. I think this is one thing that can could bite the Raptors in this series is the rebounding. So yeah, it, it definitely Philly has. Uh, I think it was number one or number two in the league in offensive rebounds this season, and the Raps were were quite low in the defensive rebounding stance. That did improve when we got Mark. But uh, watch out for that when watching this series. If we might start getting into trouble if we keep giving up boards, um, I'm glad. I'm glad you did bring that up because I remember way back before the trade deadline, you were looking into trades about how the Raptors could deal with this problem uh, of of getting the boards and defensive rebounding. And uh, you you were halfway there. You knew that they were going to move uh, JV to do something with that, but uh, you hadn't quite identified yeah. the target. But uh, yeah, I think I said Tristan Thompson, which in hindsight is hilarious. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think we did a lot better. That's why Masai is running yeah. the show and we're trying to yeah, start a podcast. Much prefer Mark. Yeah. yeah. All right. Um, I think that's good on that series. We both, uh, just to sum it up, we both feel like Toronto's going to carry, carry this series and win this series. They could do it uh, as quickly as four, uh, but it, but the potential is there for a very long, tough series. Um, let's move to... I'd like to. I'd like to point out just how amazing this feeling is, though. Like, we should just cherish this for a second. 
given that we might not have this this same level of dominance next year, it just feels so strange to feel so confident going into a series. You well, know? That, maybe it's going to bite us. Yeah, I I, I I feel good right now. Maybe that's it. Maybe that's why I'm a little bit more nervous. I I think you can test. Uh, vouch for me that I was extremely confident in the Raptors uh, taking care of business against Orlando even after that first game loss we have a couple really good friends and uh, fellow uh, fantasy travelers in in a group chat and they were at least a couple of them were ready to cut bait already after that game one loss and uh, I, I was very unconcerned but I also feel like those same people are maybe starting to feel a little too comfortable and are maybe not as worried about Philly as they should be. This is going to be a big increase in like difficulty. Um, we're leveling up yeah, big time yeah. here. And and so I, that just gives me a little bit of pause. It's almost like my my Raptors like anxiety and dread as a fan is kind of like tingling a bit that I, we're kind of maybe too comfortable. But I do think it points to the fact that we are that good and... Uh, even when, even when we talk about blowing game one against Orlando, like I think probably the main ingredient in that loss was complacency over the season. And that's a luxury, right? To be complacent during the regular season and experiment with stuff because you know you're that good. Um, and because you know you're going to be standing there in the final four of the East. Uh, and you, so you were trying to prepare and play the long game. That's all speaks to how how talented this team is. And I, I, it's, I remember whenever Philly made that trade, pulled off that trade for Tobias Harris, and there was a lot of talk about how they may have the most talented starting five in the league, or at least second to Golden State, who still had Cousins at that point. I think the Raptors have a better starting five um, than than Philly. So I feel good. That's that's agreed. That we're we're there. Agreed. We're we're on the same page about this series, and uh, we'll hope starting game one tomorrow night. We'll see how it goes. Um, yeah, just I, I just want to add, <laughs> you know, to me it, it, on the on the topic of a lot of uh, some of our friends who are also Raptors fans, kind of just. Right after that game loss, game one loss, just saying to burn the ship and and shut this shit down, and you know say goodbye to Kawhi and all that. Just after that game one loss, <laughs> to me there are really you know for every sports franchise you could bucket their fans into two groups. There are the ones that are just generally optimistic and hoping for the best and believing in their you know management and team organizational structure and believing that the team has a bright future. And then there's the group of fans who, after every loss, are just always down on the team. Every time, no matter what it is, it's immediately after every win, they're happy. After every loss, they're saying, trade everyone and this and this franchise. The Raptors franchise, I feel, you know, probably deservedly has a lot more of fans in that second bucket. Yeah. (laughs) Just because of the trauma that we've gone through the past few years. So. Hopefully, after this year, we'll have a lot more that have shifted into that first bucket that are a lot more reasonable, I think. But uh, it's just funny. It's just funny to see some of our friends, yeah. uh, how overly reactive they are to after every game's result. Well, I'll pick up on that a bit as someone living in the States now, living in Jacksonville. I, I actually feel like with the benefit of hindsight now, the Raptors have been covered appropriately the last five or six years. They were a very good team. They were an excellent regular season team. They were well coached. They executed. They were always focused. But nobody really thought that DeMar DeRozan uh, was the best player on a championship contender, right? There was, And I think that was correct. That was a good read. And we've seen it. Yeah. The Raptors are hardly the yeah. only team in that category over the years. Um, but now we really have, uh, we know for a fact that we have our best player as a championship guy he's oh won God. one before yeah. um and so we just we have to kind of make the adjustment um this team was a good team last five or six years and that that 
can sort of sustained excellence did put us in a position to get a guy like Kawhi if and if it's only for a year um and and make a run at this thing so yeah it's it's funny being in Jacksonville like I when I was in Toronto I always was frustrated with the media coverage and like the way we wouldn't be taken seriously but the more I've become kind of a student of 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 the game a little bit not to sound too um pretentious but the more I've gotten into the analytics and listened to people who know what they're talking about it's like yeah it was very clear Toronto was never a title contender they were a very good team that had a chance to make noise in the playoffs but they never felt like you could picture them winning the title and this like you said we should take a minute and appreciate this moment on the eve of the second round that we are every bit a title contender i think there's probably six teams that are title contenders right now uh golden state obviously uh houston milwaukee Toronto, Boston, and Philly, and I, that's roughly the order I would put it in. And so we should. Portland fans out there just <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. feeling the Raptors hate right they're now. They're getting the Raptors <laughs> treatment here. No, I think I yeah. I, I want to get to uh, Dame and I want to get to Portland, but um, let's 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 put this to bed. Let's let's move on to yeah the sort of the state of the playoffs overall because obviously we are feeling confident. We do see the Raptors playing uh, a lot more basketball this year. I have always been worried about Milwaukee and Boston. They have always felt like the teams that were the biggest hurdle for the Raptors. But obviously that's um, that's the second biggest hurdle because of course you still have Golden State and this dynasty. Golden State plays game six tonight against the LA Clippers. This is a very funny little development for Raptors fans because the team that's been linked to Kawhi all season long, uh, besides the Raptors, is the yeah. LA Clippers. And now all of a sudden, they're punching above their weight. They're this lovable team. They're having this great showing against a team that's increasingly um, unlikable. Oh, um, so that's... that's You hate uh, to see it. You love to see it. Yeah, you know? yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, I, you hate to see the Clippers extending the series and make, becoming more attractive. And on the other hand, you love to see Lou Williams dicing up the uh, Golden State defense. But let's, let's start there. Uh, Golden State is in a series, incredibly. Yeah. Well, I, what what would yeah. we're recording this right before uh, they ha- they play their game six? I think the consensus is, is that Golden State's going to finally get focused and finish this off tonight. Do you see any anything else happening, or are you kind of in that same camp? Yeah, I mean, okay, so let let's go through this series, right? Game one, Golden State comes out, lays lays down the hammer, destroys the Clippers, and everyone after that game, everyone's like, all right, it's going to be a sweep, no big deal. You know, pencil Golden State into the next round. Can't wait for that Rockets Warriors series, yeah, right? Yeah. Game two happens. They're up thirty-one, and they blow that lead. Yeah. Now, do you chalk that up to the Clippers being an incredible, talented team that will match uh, Golden State or Golden State's complacency? Obviously, it's the latter. Yeah. Right. Yeah. We're like, okay, you know, Golden State got complacent. Hilarious. Haha. Like we make jokes at the Warriors' expense. Uh, game three comes along. KD lays down the hammer. Uh, you know, he had that incredible interview where he kind of dissected the game before game three talked about, you know, how Pat, Pat Bev was succeeding against him and how he, you know, he, he can adjust, et cetera, et cetera. Well, the best part of that is like they're locked in. The best part of that interview is when he referred to himself in the third person, which is always a a baller (laughs) move and a way to, definitely a way to endear yourself to, uh, your fans. Yeah. People love that. People People love love that. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, and then and then game four obviously happens, uh, and they're up three one, and then game five comes along, and I definitely sense that that game was kind of given away again due to complacency. Um, but you know, 
I don't think, obviously, that the Clippers uh, are even anywhere close to the level that Golden State. But I think that should indicate to us that there's something wrong with Golden State. You know, the the uh, the whole is less than the sum of the parts, if if I can use, you know, you, that saying. But I'll the opposite it, extent, I'll right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, it, it's it's there's definitely a weird uh, dynamic going on in that team, um, and in those losses, you can kind of see it happening. Like as you watch these games, um, you see a lot of it. Kind of devolves to a little bit of my turn, your turn, KD. You know, Pat Bev gets in his head, so KD kind of takes it personally and starts you know going ISO hero ball. Steph kind of seems checked out, especially in that game five. It was very strange to watch. There was it was a very quiet Steph game. Yeah, he did have kind of a good box score at the end, but watching it, you're kind of like, you know, what's going on with Steph? Right, for sure. Uh, I turned that game on pretty late, and uh, it just felt like Steph was very passive. And I definitely think that if you can create a tight game with you know guys kind of getting into the Warriors space and giving him trouble, and you know doing the Pat Bev. Uh, maneuvers that we've been seeing, you can cause friction in that team. And I think I think a lot of it, and it's not all of it, but a lot of it is caused by this impending KD free agency. You know, you, com- you compare and contrast, you know, the Kawhi situation with the KD situation. I think it's good to compare them, right? Mm-hmm. Because b- in both situations, we have two all-star superstars who have free agencies in the summer. Um, both who the media are kind of predicting that they're going to go elsewhere. They're going to leave the team, right? Yeah. Uh, But in one scenario, uh, you see it almost like KD is for sure going to the Knicks. Like, pencil it in, he's going to the Knicks. And you see the team kind of, team dynamics be impacted by it. Uh, Obviously, we had that, that sort of feud between Draymond and KD that happened earlier in the season in L.A., uh, may I remind you? So this is kind of interesting that this is happening uh, in the Clippers series as well, right? <laughs> yeah. um, but then you see on the rap side, I have seen zero indication that this has been impacting the team. Absolutely nothing. Uh, and I don't know if... I, I wonder what your thoughts are on that. Like, do you think it's the con- the conduct of Kawhi versus KD? What do you think is going on there? Why is it so different between the Raps uh, and their team dynamic, which seems amazing, they seem like they're all friends. They're having fun. They're all relaxed all the time, which is very unlike any other Raps team versus uh, what we're seeing with the Warriors. What do you think? I, I think, um, I, well, first of all, I, I mostly agree with what you've said. Uh, I also feel like there's there's something wrong with Golden State and yet feel pretty confident that they're going to put things together and finish off this series tonight. Um, I do think the context is very different when you're talking about KD and Kawhi. Uh, the Raptors... From Masai all the way down to uh, you know their trainers and their their the lowest staff people that are involved and make this thing happen, um, they've all kind of known that we got Kawhi to take a shot, right? To take a and and you can do that with one year or you can do that with five. Uh, we, we we got him with that understanding that came with the with the trade. We understood it might be short term. Uh, whereas KD, you know, they recruited him heavily. He, was, he couldn't have been happier to be a, a Golden State Warrior. He took a pay cut to be there and to be part of this thing. And yeah, he's he feels like Yoko Ono right now, right? He's going to break up the band. And uh, I think that's yeah. that's kind yeah. of the difference right now. Um, and, and just to clarify, I have no idea if that Yoko Ono 
uh, trope is fair or not. I don't, I don't know the history there. Uh, I don't, I don't know if there might be sexist <laughs> overtones or whatever about that. So if that's the case, I take it back. But he, he seems yeah. like the actual source of, of, um, of breaking something that's working. I mean, you can't find a better situation, and he's he's let it be uh, open to speculation about where he's going. And like you said, it's becoming increasingly obvious over the course of the year that he's he's got his eyes on New York. I think with Kawhi, it's just different because we brought him in with the understanding that, you know, after five years of failure or disappointment or however you want to characterize it, uh, we were going to take this step to try and win a title this year. And uh, the Marc Gasol trade just kind of underlined that, you know, we're all in this season. And I think Raptors fans even are at peace with whatever happens, happens. And all we, yeah. all we really want is to maximize this year and then go from there. And, and it happens to feel like if we maximize this season that that's a pretty good pitch to keep Kawhi so it kind of the things kind of come together nicely and I think and, and then you know we also have like a kind of a young team a young core alongside this veteran team um, you know guys like Siakam and OG and Fred I don't I don't think Raptors fans are terrified of the future whereas Golden State has this really really special thing going on where they could be the greatest team of all time and and Durant seems like he's determined to just stop that from from coming to fruition. So I think that's that's a very different context. Um, but what I really wanted to do by bringing up Golden State was think a little bit about the state of these playoffs and how not only are these personal issues, and I, you must have seen that clip of, uh, of Kerr giving the interview and uh, Draymond insisting on the music being played really loud. And yeah, you saw yeah, that, right? Yeah. I, I, think, oh, yeah. I think there's a bigger picture there that Golden State, it's not so much complacency like we talked about with maybe the Raptors during the regular season or in game one of uh, the Orlando series. It's it's like they've just they've outgrown all this stuff. You know, they're, so, they're sick of each other. They're, they're sick of each other. They're sick of it. I, I think there were similar problems with the Bulls in the uh, in the 90s whenever they yeah. were. I think that yep. it's not easy to hold this together and it may just. Yep. And the Shaq Kobe years. As yeah. Well. Yeah. It's not easy yeah. to be that much better than everybody else i mean <laughs> it's a good problem to have obviously and it comes with a lot of, yeah. it comes with a lot of titles and accolades but i think i think that they just may be reaching their expiration date and uh for various reasons and, and draymond is a tough personality uh clay's kind of a strange guy i don't know if you saw that on twitter or instagram i forget where it was posted but there was this picture of uh <laughs> of clay giving an interview it was just it was just a still frame but he was wearing the goofiest outfit and the caption was just like this is an alien trying to be a human. It just looks so strange. He's just, he, but he's kind of an odd guy. I know everyone loves him, uh, but he's kind of a strange guy. And then Durant obviously is extremely moody and is wrestling with these lar- larger questions about legacy and status in the league. So I, they're they're a mess. They're they're a mess, and I I think that makes them especially vulnerable. I think the fact yeah. that, the fact that they went out and got cousins and, and invested in that project over the course of the season was very much a way of like heading off that that those problems uh, by giving them something to play for and also adding a wrinkle in terms of like being, being able to go big in a playoff series. And now that's gone. That that's kind of been pulled out from under them with the injury, unfortunately to, uh, to DeMarcus. So I I think there have been low key downplaying that too. I think a lot of people were kind of dismissive of that, but now they're, they're starting Andrew Bogut in his place. Right. Um, Yeah. I, 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 I think, Golden State is more vulnerable than they've ever been. But I want to I the point I really wanted to make was that I think there is also something else over and above all of that that the league has adjusted now to the Golden State Warriors. You have yes. you have a whole yes. crop of teams that are deliberately constructed in the Golden State era to uh combat and overcome what Golden State does. And so you have obviously this whole group of super teams, teams that are stacked with talent, but also you have 
a totally different style of basketball now that a lot of these teams have are, are perfecting. And yeah, I don't want to get ahead of ourselves. So I want to pivot back to the East, but I really think that if Golden State's in the finals and Toronto Raptors are up against them, that will be the most that will be at least as tough as Houston was uh, last year. Uh, Toronto will have full value for that series. They they could take that to seven, and anything could happen because our team is built for this era now, and it, and it wasn't the previous seasons. And uh, and Philly's obviously tried to do that. Boston is very much like kind of the inverse of uh, of Toronto, where their star player happens to be a guard, and they're a little bit younger uh, in terms of like the importance of Jason Tatum and and Jalen Brown. But they're 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 stacked with these switchable guys. I mean. And then Giannis, of course, is a freak uh, in every sense. Uh, I, th- I think, yeah, I think you're bringing up a great point that the, the previous years of the start of this Golden State era really started with this three-point revolution, right? And, and it Steph took Curry. a few years. Yeah. And Steph Curry, right? And it took a few years for other teams to catch up. Now teams have caught up. Yeah. Now teams have built their team understanding that Golden State is the team to beat. And so literally their whole scheme and their whole team design was built around beating this team. And I think you you're, you hit the nose on the head that, you know, of course there's the Golden State problems, but there's also the opponents are ready this time. They're yeah. ready for Golden State. Well, and I think um, in the Eastern Conference, to, to move back in our direction and talk a little bit more about the Raptors and, uh, and Milwaukee and Boston, um, I think LeBron James, especially this last couple years after Kyrie left him, uh, they were kind of like a holding, like a... a um, some the whole a placeholder is what I'm looking for. Uh, they were kind yeah. of a placeholder in this Golden State era, uh, where LeBron James as an individual could give them trouble, could could through his own sort of force of will could make a series interesting. But now now it, it happens to coincide with him going to the Western Conference. But now you actually have a whole group of teams in the East that don't just need to rely on one player being you know maybe one of the greatest players of all time, if not the greatest player of all time. You actually have teams built to match up against uh, Golden State. I Before before we pivot to the East, what do you think will happen in, assuming Golden State finishes off the Clippers? And for the sake of the Raptors and Kawhi, let's hope that they do. Um, but what do you think will happen first with Houston? And then let's talk about the East. Yeah, so you're, you're, you're saying if presumably there's gonna, it's going to be a Rockets-Warriors matchup. Right, the, the rematch so, we've all been kind of waiting for. Right, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I've been watching a bit of this this Rockets Jazz series, uh, and okay, I'll, I'll premise with I do think the Rockets have a chance in the series, but I still would pick the Warriors. Now that's not a very controversial pick. I mean, obviously, most people are going to say exactly the same thing, but I think uh, for as incredible as the Rockets have looked lately, um, there is something to be said about this Jazz series and how Harden has kind of had a few, not just one, but a few. Uh, kind of questionable games from the field. Uh, I don't know if you've 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 definitely picked up on this, but you've been watching how teams have been defending Harden, right? I have, yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> there was a lot so of laughing about it, but it did actually seem to be uh, well. It had mixed results, I guess. It's something I've you I would I've never seen in my life. I, yeah. I mean, I've never seen throughout all the games I've ever watched defenders literally behind Harden, like just right. fully behind Harden by, de- by design. Yeah, by design, by design, and. In, in that Jazz series, for at least a couple of the games, it worked. Yeah. Um, it forced Harden to his floater, which is on and off. And if you have a good rim protector or someone that's very good at, at rotating for help, uh, that seems to be an effective scheme. Uh, and I anticipate the Warriors doing something very similar. 
Um, and if Harden is not firing at all cylinders, I, I, as, as much as there are problems with the Warriors, I don't think the Rockets will have a chance. So Harden has to be incredible for them to win. I think it's still possible. I think Harden is incredible. And despite all these weird defensive schemes, Harden can surpass all that. Um, and uh, obviously he has Chris Paul, who seems okay health-wise. Um, and was pretty impressive in that game where they uh, eliminated the Jazz. He kind of stepped in in that fourth quarter to uh, you know hit the nail in the coffin. Um, but I think, yeah, Harden needs to be incredible. And if the Warriors manage to um, ha- make him have a, you know, three for 20 shooting kind of night, I don't think the Rockets have a chance there. Uh, so I am a little bit worried about that. I know you're a little bit more bullish on the Rockets. So why don't you give me your take on this? Well, you're definitely uh, making the rational case. Um, I th- I am concerned a little bit about Harden's uh, shooting numbers. Um KOC has been really KOC with the ringer has been very good on like holding the line and sort of defense of the defensive strategy that the the jazz employed. Uh, it did, it did work more than I think people have, have kind of acknowledged at least uh, at the casual level. Um, I, I am a little bit more bullish on the, on the Houston Rockets, but not for rational reasons like you've, uh, like you've used. Uh, I really just think like we talked about the golden state warriors are a bit of a mess right now. Um, I think that they're not ready for the Houston Rockets. The Houston Rockets are legitimately the second best team in the league, probably, or at least the second most dangerous when they play at their best. They probably could have beaten the the Golden State Warriors last year, which I think has been kind of undersold a little bit. It's like people kind of fall into this, like, I don't know, uh, fate argument that like, just, you know, Chris Paul was injured, uh, but, you know, that's not really what was decisive. Ultimately, Golden State buckled down and won. I don't think they would have won if, if Chris Paul had been healthy. I think that would have happened. Last I don't year. think so either. So, yeah. so I now now there's a question about whether or not Houston's as good as they were last year. They're certainly not as deep as they were last year. So, but it's but it's I'm very much coming at this from like a psychological pop psych uh, angle where I just feel like Golden State's a bit of a mess. They have probably assumed all year they wouldn't face the Houston Rockets again until the conference finals. And then on the other side, Houston has literally been built for this matchup. They have uh, (laughs) been sitting on this disappointment and this frustration and this feeling like they need a rematch all season long. They're going to get it in the second round when they're healthy, when they have their legs. It would not surprise me. I'm not necessarily going to go, well, you know what? It's a, it's a podcast. We're having fun. The Houston Rockets will beat the Golden State Warriors, and the Houston Rockets will be the team to represent the West in the finals. That that would be my prediction. Boom. I think, yeah, I I hear what you're saying, and I and I, to be honest, I almost want Golden State to make it to the finals because I do still believe there's a chance that the Raptors will play them, and I want to see someone slay the champs. This could be the year that my team. You know, I've never had a team that I've cheered for win the title, let alone take down, you know, one of the best teams in history. So I do kind of want that stage to be set for us. But I think Houston might do it, not necessarily because they should do it, but just because Golden State doesn't seem prepared and Houston does. Would I be surprised? Would I be surprised if Golden State... This is the range of possibilities for me, that Golden State does absolutely dial in. They play their best basketball of the year. They have too much talent. They overwhelm uh, Harden shoots poorly, and they overwhelm uh, Houston, and they could win it in five games, honestly. But I'm going to go with the Houston Rockets in seven. Okay. Yeah. But- I, 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 one one thing I'll say is that I think, I think for your prediction to be correct, 
uh, the Rockets have to win one of the first two games. Yeah, I think you're right. I think you're right. And, uh, you know, I would not be surprised if Golden State wins, even wins it easily. Um, yeah, and, and the reason I say that is because I think the Rockets need to create some friction in that Warriors locker room. And that friction won't come if they drop the first two games. No, you're right. They you're right. It, they need to plant some seeds of doubt into their mind. If the Warriors believe they're better and are really locked in and want to prove all the haters wrong, they're going to come out with that mentality and they're going to really lock in. And it's up to the Rockets to put some seeds of doubt into the Warriors' mind and have them start thinking about, is this our last run? Is KD going to leave? And then all that will then tumble. And I think you're right. If that should happen, the Rockets 100% have a chance if they get into that kind of mental game where they have the Warriors kind of doubting themselves. Well, the other thing too is I, I really I really trust Daryl Morey. And he made a comment, I think it was in an interview with Zach Lowe earlier in the season where he was like, you know, we're on track to be better than we were last year's playoff. And I'm not sure we've seen that yet, but I just I just trust Daryl's read on it a little bit. Um, obviously, he's biased, but but it wouldn't yeah. su- it wouldn't surprise me if Houston uh, shocks the world. But the other thing about that is that I just think um, because it is so much of like a pop psych analysis that I really just think it's about it's kind of between the ears for Golden State. This Clippers series may end up being the best thing for them. Uh, they actually have to play serious basketball tonight in the first round, and that may end up kind of getting them organized uh, in time to deal with. Yeah, Houston. yeah, it could be a wake up call. Yeah. All right. So that's that's the West. Um, really quickly, just two minutes. The East is stacked. Uh, we've talked all year, at least at the top, we've talked all year about how dangerous Milwaukee and Boston look. Um, regardless of who comes out of that, if our prediction holds true that Toronto beats Philly, we're going to have to get through one of those tough teams. And uh, how, how would you, wh- which of the two would you prefer to see? Oh man, that that's a tough choice. <laughs> they're both, uh, they're both scared to me, to be honest. And I know <laughs> a lot of people have been kind of trashing the Celtics uh, because of their season, but I am definitely uh, not underestimating them. Let's just say, um, honestly, <laughs> I think I would prefer the Bucks. I think I would prefer the Bucks. I, me too, uh, just because of the experience factor. I think uh, this is new to most of that team, uh, and I think we are currently with our current roster with Marcus well positioned to match up against that team. Yeah, let me uh, let me just say, because I, I want I want to move quickly to a couple other things and then wrap this up. Uh, yeah. Let me just say, I I agree. I, I would choose the Bucks as well. I think that Boston is like a slightly less, um, less well rounded or well balanced version of the Raptors. But if they upset the Bucks, that's going to mean that they've put it together. You know, that's going to yeah. mean that they're now at that level with the Raptors. And yeah. then and yeah. then it's and then it's war. And I have no idea. Flip a coin. I mean, who's going to have the better well, series the in, in a in a coin flip? I, I think you take the team with Kyrie Irving. Well, let, me, let me let me also yeah. say, too, that of all these teams we're talking about, Golden State, Houston, uh, Milwaukee, Philly. And the Raptors, I would say, before I get to the Celtics, all five of those teams have a real problem with depth and bench. That's not true of the Celtics. They are the one team that can go 10 deep. And yeah. o- over a seven-game series, that that could make the difference. So, yeah, so I'm, I'm cheering for Giannis. I don't know. Giannis may end up putting us, us in our place. And just this may just be the year of Giannis. He might win the whole thing. Um, but I, I would prefer that matchup as well. Yeah, no, agreed, agreed. Uh yeah, uh, yeah. I think uh, every time we've played 
I just, just, I'm scared of Kyrie. I'm scared of Kyrie when the game is close. He seems to not be able to miss uh, during clutch moments. So, uh, whereas I think you can, you can uh, get into the heads of the Bucks a little bit and have them tighten up during those tighter moments. Uh, so, yeah, I think due to the experience factor and due to, like you said, depth and and Kyrie's ability to come through and his experience, I think I'd take the Bucks too. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, let's leave it there. Um, it's been an eventful week. Uh, top top of the list has been this um, this incredible series conclusion uh, between OKC and Portland. We're we're a little late to the party. I think everyone that has a podcast has talked about this matchup and about this the way it ended uh, three or four times just this week alone. So I don't know how much we need to get into it, but this was uh, let's just say it was a huge banner week for uh, Dame for uh, for Damian Lillard. Oh my God. Yeah, just incredible. I mean, I, watching that that shot and that moment and all of the events leading up to it, uh, it might be maybe uh, definitely in the top three moments in the NBA that I've ever witnessed ever. Right. Uh, yeah. It's just so incredible, so poetic. Just all of the all the storylines leading up to it, and and Dame is honestly respect Dame. I know he has unanimous love right now, but he deserves it. Yeah, it it's well earned, and uh, God, that the way he waved goodbye after hitting oh my a, gosh. after hitting a, a <laughs> that that three pointer. I mean, I, I I'm kind of thirty footer. I know, I know, thirty seven footer. I know, I know the uh, Oh my uh, God, he yeah. shot it from the logo. I mean, it's basically a half court shot. Yeah. to win the yeah. game, and and I think you know it's funny watching kind of it, it, people bat this around in the analytic circles and stuff. Like, was it a good shot? Was it a bad shot? Um, like any shot in basketball, you make it. It's a good shot. You miss it. It's a bad shot. But yeah. I, I, I'm going to, I'm going to just say that Dame, Dame has proven he can make that, you know, he's, he's on the Steph Curry level in terms of like knocking down crazy shots. Um, yeah. and, and I yeah. think, I think the lack of respect that Paul George showed him in that final play to get up on him in the last couple seconds as the clock was running out kind of speaks to that whole series. Yeah. Some, there was something yeah. about OKC. They thought they, they thought they were entitled, I think, to win that series. Um, and it was not just Russ, and th- I want to talk about this, and then maybe we'll we'll call it a day. But it was not just Russ; that whole team seemed to have this attitude. But it's been interesting as people have digested what Dame did, and they start kind of dissecting the, the OKC that the focus has really gone to Russ, and he's the one really taking the flack here, and his popularity from for from a basketball perspective seems to be at an all time low. Yeah. What yeah, you, uh, yeah. What do you make? Yeah, of, I, what do you make about the reaction? Well, first of all, what do you make about uh, where Russell Westbrook stands in the league right now? What, what's his kind of status uh, as a player and as kind of a, an icon of this league? And then, what do you make of this backlash? Yeah, I think I think I mean you you brought up a good point that it was not just Russ; it was the entire uh, seemingly mentality of that whole team uh, from Paul George. I mean, you heard Paul George at, in the post game after that that incredible Dame shot that he said, he said that that was a bad shot. He was, he was saying that he's like, I know that's going to be lost or whatnot, but that was a bad shot. And that, that kind of sums it up the, the mentality yeah. that Paul George and the entire team had yeah. about that. They're, they're talking this up to luck almost, right? Like with yep. that comment, Yep. Um, which is, I mean, yeah, we mentioned time and again, that Dame, Dame has the ability to shoot from there, and he did it all series. So it's not like this is one time thing. Well, and it's not um, just about that game five. I mean, they got they got they got rolled. It was a five game series, and yeah, I, I mean, they, got rolled. they yeah. never they never seemed like they were going to come back. I think people 
people were remembering how good the Thunder looked uh, going into the All-Star break or right after the All-Star break. I forget which. But but at one point, they looked pretty dangerous. But they hadn't looked dangerous in a long time. I mean, this wasn't that competitive of a series. I know some of the games were close. Certainly, it was more competitive than, than what we watched with Toronto in the first round. But but. I mean, Portland was playing without Yusuf Nurkic the whole the whole series, and it, it never seemed like it was in doubt. So the fact that they yeah. were kind of latching onto this one shot and and this idea that it was kind of a fluke win, I mean, that's just ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> it's embarrassing. Yeah, but but all that to say, uh, yeah, you're right that Russ has taken all the flack, uh, and you know some some would say it's deserved, and I'm sure some of it is deserved. Um, he did have you know fairly poor series in terms of his shooting and his stats uh and that's kind of been a problem for him all season so it's not like this is new in the playoffs um but i also think the criticism is taking a level that i think is undeserved and is kind of all the all the russ haters have kind of come out in full force uh after this series um and he's been catching a lot of heat and a lot of the times it's it's borderline personal uh that you know the the whole feud that has been having with that reporter everything that i've been hearing about has been incredibly one-sided it's all about how you know russ is a dick and he's refusing to answer this reporter's very innocent questions and a lot of the coverage doesn't doesn't talk about the history that russ and that reporter have had uh and i think i think it's uh it's a lot of people who have you know russ is a force and he's a personality and a lot of people uh, to a lot of people, that rubs them the wrong way. Uh, and I think that definitely a lot of the criticism right now is tinted in that sort of animosity towards him as a person rather than him as a player. Yeah, let me, um, I, I think you have to kind of, and it's important to do this, I think, separate the kind of critiques of his basketball play at this point, where he's at in his career as a player, uh, separate that from who he is as a personality and uh, what he's what he does for this game outside, off the court rather. Um I think he, you know, he's a bad shooter. He's an inefficient scorer. Um, he's probably an overrated defender because people look at how athletic he is. But he, he's not, uh, not, not at the level of like uh, a Danny Green or a Kawhi or something in terms of his defensive play. And yeah, he does have a tendency to have, uh, you know, <laughs> make bad decisions. But as a basketball player, but I think off the court, I think he's pretty much unassailable. I mean, he's. Uh, the stuff with the reporter, that's not, again, that's not unique to Russ. The whole OKC franchise has a very like yeah. stand, standoffish relationship with the local press. Um, and I, I don't think that's really a consequential thing. I don't think that's really important. Meanwhile, you know, how many people, how many eyes are on the NBA and how many millennials uh, give a shit about this league and put this league at the top of the list in terms of North American sports because of people like Westbrook, because of personalities like him. You know, <laughs> every time every time I watch sit down to watch a game with Russ, it's really really important to catch him walking into this stadium and see what he's wearing. Right, like oh, this yeah. this guy hell is yeah. this guy drives the culture. You know, he's he's an icon. He is polarizing, and I think when it comes to his on court play, I'm probably actually more of a critic than an admirer. Um, especially at this point when he has maybe lost a step. Um, he's He's got to be close to 30. He's 29 or 30, right? He's about... He's, he's 30, I think. Now, I think he's... Yeah. yeah. Think so he's 30. Uh, anytime you get a guy whose uh, career, his, his ability on the court is so tied to his athleticism, you're going to see a kind of a steeper decline, a more sudden decline than maybe uh, you had anticipated. Um, so you're seeing that probably, but... Yeah, off the court, I, I, off the court, he's still one of the most important people in basketball, and I think this, uh, there's been this kind of like scolding attitude from these like random, yeah. 
yeah. blowhards, whether they have a podcast or a column or whatever. It's like, you know, it's it's this condescending thing that really rubs me the wrong way. And oh yeah, oh yeah, totally and condescending. And you can't escape the fact that this is, you know, this is America. I know you're up in Canada, but this is this is a, a, a sport with uh, almost all black players. I mean, it's it's heavily uh, a black a black player league, and it's um, <laughs> it's a sport dominated by white ownership and white coaches and white press corps and white podcasters like ourselves. Uh, and yeah, and he and Russ happens to be kind of a flashpoint. Um, you know, he had that incident in Utah where a racist goon was yelling at him and saying racist things on uh, while he's at work. I mean, this is something that's really important and that I think does not yeah. get enough yeah. uh, respect or attention. These basketball players, including Russ Westbrook, are at work and they're dealing with harassment from racists in the crowd. Um Good on Utah for banning that fan, but I, I do think that some of the criticism that Russ takes get t- gets tied up in these things because Russ is a subversive person, not not just in his attitude towards the press or the way he uh, speaks about the game or the, how competitive he is, just his whole aesthetic, the way he pushes boundaries in terms of like, uh, honestly, he's kind of a, an interesting character from like a gender perspective, right? Like he wears really interesting clothing and like pushes boundaries a little bit in terms of like, this this masculine arena yeah um and i think he i think he's he's he triggers a lot of people a lot of older white conservatives i i just want i want to bring up the point you know for any of our listeners who who listen to other pods and listen to other people talk about russ just try to pay attention to those that are you know uh, presenting valid criticism of his basketball play and those who are tying that criticism to criticism of his as a person. And you can, I find when you listen and compare against the various people who talk about Russ, you can really tell about those who have kind of, you know, silently been dissenting about his, his, you know, his style and his, you know, bigger, his large personality yeah. uh, and the way he speaks and the way he talks and the way he dresses. You need to compare and contrast, you know, those people who are presenting legitimate criticism with those who are now, you know, coming out of the woodwork with now tying that to, oh, he's, you know, he's a dick or he's a bad leader. And, and you know, those who keep talking about things that really fundamentally, you know, uh, unfair criticism of him, I believe. Yeah. I, uh, so, I, so just just I want people to pay attention to that and really understand that. Uh, there are a lot of people coming out now uh, with criticisms that of things that he's been doing all his entire career and they haven't really said anything until now. Right, right. Yeah, they're, they're, <laughs> they they smell blood and they're just pouncing for, in some cases, the, the very wrong reasons. I'll, I'll draw this comparison. Um, it, it'll work for you. I don't know how many, how many people listening it'll work for, but he reminds me as this kind of like singular force in, in basketball and a guy who brings kind of transcends the sport a bit in terms of and, and not a lot of casual fans are aware of this, but like my wife will die defending the name of Russell Westbrook, right? Like <laughs> yeah. uh, protect Russ at all costs because he does represent something that's transgressive in, in, in basketball. And so I'll draw the comparison to someone like Kanye West, right? Like where yep. not yep. necessarily that he's like saying something specifically political, although Kanye has done that maybe more than Russ, but, but it's, it's like what they represent as kind of like an identity or a, um, an attitude that is not supposed to be kind of admissible in, uh, 
Questioning the norms, right? Questioning the norms, breaking the norms. His slogan is why not, right? Right, Which is emblemic of him as a person and as a personality. And I, I still love Russ as a person and as uh, what he brings to the to the league and to uh, pop culture. I I am at right. I unite in the criticism of his play. I, I think he's although I think yeah. although I think he he has shown strides and clearly he has an incredible relationship with Paul George. Um, yeah, I think you can criticize the attitude of the OK Oklahoma City Thunder in their approach to this series, and I think you can criticize the organization's approach to dealing with the press. I think that's all separate from uh from russ or it's uh not only russ whereas i think a lot of this vitriol that he's uh, on the receiving end right now is is for very specific kind of idiosyncratic russ things and i think that's yeah. i think that's at least dangerous or suspect so uh Agreed, yeah yeah so i'm glad that you and i are, are are still very pro russ even if even if he's not the point guard that we would want for the raptors always yeah always yeah. i think i i will always be paying attention to his pre-game walk in to see what he's wearing and just admire and amaze and try to get some inspiration sometimes you know yeah and it's funny i think yeah so like you said some of these people that are coming out of the woodwork it's like they they had to be quiet before because he was so dominant on the court and and he was driving these trends right like i you know i remember d wade i was talking to this with katie my my, my uh for for the listeners my my wife uh i was talking about this before we sat down i remember you know, fashion and basketball have gone together in this really interesting way for the last 20 or 30 years. And in the 90s, it was very much like something that the league was scared of. Um, yeah. And I think there was they kind of... instituted that dress code. Oh, yeah, yeah. And that was totally a racist reaction, right? And yeah. it, it was typical of what was going on in the 90s. But that really opened up and that changed. And the league kind of realized that, no, actually, like the people driving their the sports growth that are actually into this stuff and they care about what people wear and what people listen to and how they how they uh stand at a kind of an intersection between culture and, and basketball and they kind of capitalized on that and i think the people that kind of typified that were lebron james and Dwayne wade when they had those the heatles years um russ was somebody who was much more off off the wall or off off beat a little bit and was like transgressive and interesting and it didn't you know he he, he uh didn't have his own stylist right like Dwayne wade would sit down with his yeah. stylist before the playoffs and like map out his press conference uh outfits whereas russ would just do it all himself and that he brought a level of authenticity and a level of taste that was independent of outside sort of voices that was really unique and important and i think a lot of the young players now have very uh, unique style and it's a big part of the game. It's a big part of what we care about as fans. And it's hard to have that without Russ. Yep. And I think that's super important for this, this new generation of consuming basketball. And I think the reason why basketball and the NBA as a league has kind of exploded in popularity, especially with young people is we can identify, you know, with these athletes and, you know, we're closer to them to them than ever, like through social media and all that. And I think Russ, you know, has shown that he owns his own personality and he will not let the league and and the reporters and what people expect of him to dictate who he is and who he wants to be. And I think that resonates with young people today. Uh, And so, you know, I'm, I'm going to be a a Russ Stan, you know, through the thick and thin, despite, you know, his basketball, uh, his basketball shortcomings as he, as he sort of hits the twilight of his career. But, uh, I hope we continue to see more of Russ even after, you know, he's done with the NBA. Hell yeah. Let's leave. Let's leave it there. Yeah. All yeah. right, man. That was good. That was fun talking. Yeah. Raps are going to sweep. You heard it here first. <laughs>